You're listening to On the Other Hand, bringing you different perspectives for everyday problems. My name is Adrian Morris. I'm filling in for Julia Meadows today in this episode's intro and outro, as she has been hit with the nasty cold that's been going around Toronto. Her voice is on the mend, but we're sure she'll make a fast recovery. In this episode, Chris LeVan and Julia are picking up where they left off last time, talking about issues happening right now. Because of the discrepancy between when these episodes are recorded and when they are uploaded, please note that some of the topics covered and stances taken do not reflect the current opinions of Chris and Julia. Everything has been progressing so rapidly in Trump's first week alone that it is easy to miss things between recording, editing, and uploading. With that disclaimer out of the way, here's part two of Living in a Post-Inauguration America. Listen and enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back to the cafe. We're gathered around a circle here to talk about the current events that have taken place in the United States and how they change our lives here. We've already had one podcast on this, and uh, we're going to hear some more today. We've got some responses from listeners, and we wanted to look at them bit by bit. Let's begin with a quote, though, from our famous, now infamous president. The Donald. (laughs) The Donald, who says in one of his tweets, My IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. Please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. My response to him is, anyone who has to say that they're really smart isn't. But that's me. Let's go on to some of the comments of those who have written to us. Uh, Julia, what have you got there? Uh, Well, before we recorded the previous episode, I had talked to a number of my friends to see what they were planning to do to deal with the fallout of Trump. So the question I asked them was, do you have any kind of next step plans or things you will do to prepare for Trump? And uh, what kinds of action do you think will be possible after he goes into office? And I was really, really pleased with the feedback that I got. The first one is from Chelsea. She's from California. She said, I'm very uncertain of what my action needs to look like. I'm determined not to grow complacent and to keep myself at least moderately informed. But beyond that, it so heavily weighs in my heart that my country would elect such a person. And I feel at a loss of what to do. I would love to go to the march to protest his inauguration, which happened last Saturday. That's just my interjection. but I have to work when it's happening. My main concern so far has been trying to let everyone I care about know that I support them, and hopefully I will find a productive way to move on from there. I think that's how a lot of Americans are feeling right now. Those who aren't already hopping on the train of activism are confused. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They feel helpless. Reminds me of what happened to me on election day when I was visiting Cuba, actually. Uh, uh, results were coming in, and I was with a group of Americans. And when it became clear that Donald Trump was going to be elected, one of the group burst out in tears and said, how could my country do this? And, and so there's a sense in which people are going through a process of grief as if somehow they have lost what had been precious to them or they feel betrayed or in some ways cut off from what was so important to them. So like all grief, it's a, it's a shock and it requires time to process. And I imagine that's where Chelsea and others are at this stage. Oh, definitely. For a slightly different perspective, I asked my friend Erin, who lives in Texas, what she had planned to do. And I had ended my question saying, you know, it doesn't have to be anything grand. So she responded with, 
I wish I had an idea for something grand. Really, the only things I can think to do are continually stand up for people who are bullied or in minorities, show kindness and understanding, resist the urge to grin and bear it, be careful and purposeful in the posts that I share, make sure the information is up to date and accurate, and pray. And pray. There we are. There's a spiritual response. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I suppose that Aaron is inviting us into kind of a daily routine of not letting it go by, but being vigilant for the little things that we have to do that speak of integrity and truth. Uh, down to what you decide to share on Facebook, checking if, to see, is this a real news site that I'm sharing, or is it a very biased right-wing blog? <laughs> Working hard in our own lives to ensure that what we do and what we say has validity and truth. I mean, everyone can get caught up in a momentum of exaggeration, particularly when we feel enthusiastic for a project or, or a vision. So, Julia, you've got uh, yet another comment, and we thank Aaron and uh, Chelsea for their words. Yes, yeah, so we're moving on to our second person from California and the third person who shared their response with me, Dan, a friend of mine. His message is very similar to what we talked about last time, the emphasis on what you can do. He said, For me in a post-inauguration America, I plan on staying active with donations for organizations who may be at higher risk for losing their funding and participating in awareness events like charity walks and marches whenever I can. It's important to me, too, that we figure out a way, as a country, to come back from the fake news issues we've suffered over the last few years. That will probably mean spending time calling out inaccuracies when I see them, but trying to do so in a way that becomes constructive. That may be the biggest challenge, being constructive. Indeed, and that reminds me of a concern that I have voiced on previous occasions. What happens when we have such a dramatic and some would argue melodramatic leader, is that we start to turn him into our nightly entertainment. You know, what scandal has Donald Trump unleashed today? And we share it partially from a kind of self-righteous point of view. So we are relieved of having to be self-critical. And partly as a way to, I know this was what happened with Rob Ford, as a way to avoid actually doing something ourselves. In other words, rather than being concrete and working towards a positive thing, we turn on the television and we wax eloquent about how bad this other guy is. So that, that for me is the temptation moving forward, is not to get caught by his shenanigans turning the nightly news into our entertainment. I think that's a very good point. Something I've noticed is that a lot of people are sharing all of his antics on Facebook, but that's not really staying informed. It's why I suggested last time that people need to check the Congress website, see what bills are being proposed, because it doesn't matter what Donald Trump says on Twitter. You need to know what Congress is doing. Ultimately, they're the ones that are going to pass bills. It doesn't matter what the Donald is tweeting. Indeed, it doesn't. And sometimes we can get fixated by his flip over rather than by the fact that his cabinet can be doing some real damage behind the scenes with the way they allocate funding and what they uh, do moving forward in response to international events. I I'm worried for sure about that. And I don't know how I can keep my focus away from though this very titillating sort of regular feed of all of his errors. It does feed into our need as people to um, ridicule someone else. And in the long run, that 
probably isn't all that helpful. It most definitely isn't. Something else that I, that I just remembered, when we're sharing things on Facebook, we need to be very aware of who is sharing them and making sure that the facts are straight because there were a lot of people sharing the government website just removed this section and this section and this section, but failing to realize that in just changing over and bringing in the new administration, they have to change over the old website. When Obama came in, the same thing happened. Websites change, the pages get taken down so that they can be filled with the information about certain issues that the administration is going to deal with or not deal with, as might be the case. And we can't just mistake that as, he doesn't care about this, he doesn't care about this. I mean, he probably doesn't care about women's rights or minorities. It's just a part of the changeover. Reformatting the website to put in new information means that those pages are going to go missing. Hopefully they'll come back. I mean, I'm sure they're not going to be back with reassuring information, but a lot of people were sharing these things as if the absence of these pages suddenly meant the end is nigh just because the page is gone. I'm not saying that they're going to come back filled with messages of hope. They're most certainly not um, based on how things seem to be progressing and who is in the cabinet. <laughs> it's very, very, very scary stuff. But it doesn't necessarily mean that because the page is gone, everything is going to go to hell, even though it certainly seems like it will. So you're counseling a certain amount of patience, or at least vigilance, uh, but not to be over suspicious? over-suspicious and knowing why things are happening the way they're happening. In this case, though there is likely truth in of worrying whether or not those pages will come back, you have to know that it's, it's something that's happened before. I saw something else where a lot of people were criticizing the way that Donald Trump was standing next to his wife Melania. During the inauguration, they weren't holding hands, they weren't showing a lot of affection. Whereas Barack and Michelle were holding hands, he kissed her hand when he took it, it was very, very sweet and very touching. And a lot of people took that as a sign. I don't want to make comments on their marriage because I don't know anything about Trump's marriage, nor do I really want to know. It's important to look back. You look at Obama's first inauguration and he and Michelle are standing very similarly. They, they look very solemn. They're not holding hands. They just look very serious. Whereas Bush and his wife are holding hands and looking very happy, you know, very clearly glad to be out of there. <laughs> Indeed. So there could be some body language that has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with an emotional state. Um, so we're getting uh, counsel from those who've talked with you about uh, paying attention to the little things, working very hard on personal integrity and clearly getting ready to support a number of movements with money, with activism that may suffer or be under a threat by a new administration. Are there any other things that you would suggest we do? The biggest thing for me is making sure that you are completely aware of what is happening. It doesn't matter how angry you are if you don't know what you're angry about. If you're just angry that Donald Trump's president, you're not angry for the right reasons. You should be angry at what he's doing, what Congress is doing. You should be angry at the government for making people feel not represented because the reason that these people voted for him is because they didn't feel represented until he decided to grace the political scene with his presence, as unwelcome as it was. There was a broken system there. There were clear problems with how it was going. 
and there were a number of people that didn't feel happy about it. They felt ignored. So you have to be mindful of where everything comes from. Where are these people coming from? Not necessarily so that you can sympathize with them. I don't blame a lot of people for not sympathizing, but to look at the bigger picture and try and find where you can work on an issue. So instead of just posting angrily that Donald Trump is trash and that he shouldn't be president, try and find where the issues lie that are bigger than him that you can contribute to because you can't just go and kick him in the, the shin and say, I hate you. That's not going to do anything. You need to support organizations looking at a long-term problem, like women's reproductive rights, rights for minorities, racial, sexual, you name it, there's, there's something there that's under threat. And you need to know what's happening. You need to be aware of everything. You can't just be blinded by your own anger. So uh, a four years of um, personal integrity and of consistent and well thought out activism. Definitely, you have to do as much as you can. Not everyone can afford to donate to causes, but a little goes a long way. I'm reminded of that uh, parable that Jesus told of the rich man who donated a nice sum of money and how he was dismayed to find out that the old woman who donated everything she had, even though it wasn't very much, we could say, you know, she donated $5 and that was everything. It mattered so much more because she was giving everything as opposed to just something. Sure. So you, you give all that you have rather than just the surplus. Yeah. Well, this is uh, encouraging and very hopeful, Julia. I thank you for your words and um, um, commend them to all who are listening. Thanks for joining us at the cafe. Thank you for listening to episode 7 of On the Other Hand. If you enjoyed it, remember to check out our Facebook page, the link to which is available on our SoundCloud profile. You can also download our episodes for free from iTunes and Google Play Music to listen to while on the go. Once again, this was episode 7 of On the Other Hand. Thanks for tuning in.